Hey, hey. Kingdom Life, how we doing? Yeah, you guys look good tonight. Come on. Yeah, look at your neighbor and say, you look good tonight. <laughs> hey, everybody. Come on, I like that. This, is a great, this room feels really nice. Man, the worship team is amazing. Come on, make some noise for the band again one more time. They're phenomenal. Yep. So good. I'm just honored to be here tonight. Thank you, Joey and Kelly and the rest of the team. You guys are phenomenal. We love Kingdom Life. We love what God's doing through this house. And we're just honored to be here. My wife of 17 years is in the house, everybody. Melissa Ray. We have our six-month-old. This is Callum Andrew Neal. He is six months. He's amazing. Yep, he's one of four. Oh, my gosh. So Callum means Holy Spirit in Gaelic. And, uh, and, man, he brings comfort and peace everywhere he goes. So that's exciting. I've got my sister and her husband. They're on our lead team at our church as well. This is Jeff and Miranda. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They're amazing. They're solutionaries. And we're just having a ball here in Central Texas. Man, God loves Central Texas a lot. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's so hot here. Heaven is so close. I mean, like, wow. I mean, it's, I like processing the fire of God more than all the other fires Christians talk about. You know, I'm, I'm actually a little more concerned about the fire of heaven than the fire of judgment. Because he's a consuming fire. And I like to think about the fact that I don't even know how fire exists outside of God. Since he's the source of fire. Anyways, so I'll just let you think about that one. Uh, my church, Gen 1, says hello. We have a great community of people. We've been hosting the presence and going after the kingdom of God in Detroit for about seven years now. And, uh, man, we're just, we've been praying for you guys. Our intercessors have been going after what are God's thoughts towards kingdom life. And uh, so we're just, you know, we've been having your guys' backs. And uh, just excited to see what God wants to do through that. Um, I do lead a church. My wife and I, we lead Generation One. I also run a few businesses. Um, but ultimately, I see God really opening up a powerful opportunity um, to broker powerful kingdom outcomes between the access of government, the resources of business, and the passion of the local church. There's something powerful. You know, they have this conversation about the seven mountains that's kind of in our stream. Maybe there's seven, maybe there's ten, maybe there's five. I don't know. Um, but I do see that there's commonality between business, government, and church. These are really places of authority. And, uh, and I see the other ones as power. Anybody love Bill Johnson in the house yet? Woo-hoo. Love Bill. I love how Bill talks about the fact that power is like if you're a surfer and you're in the water and you see a wave coming and you get in position to ride the wave. Authority is when you're in the water and you speak to the water and say, wave, come. And so there's something significant about the synergy between the power of the church or the passion of the church, the access of government, and the resources of business that I think they're synergizing right now for powerful kingdom outcomes. And so I've got a dream in my heart about what it looks like to raise up a generation of solutionaries in these three spaces that they'd come together and change the world. That sound all right? Come on. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, you're not a problem. You're a solution. We're going to say that a few times here tonight. I'm going to say, you're not a problem. And you're going to say, I'm a solution. You know, you're not in the way of the plan of God. You are the plan of God. You're not a roadblock. You're a conduit. Come on, I think one of the most ridiculous prayers that Christians ever pray is, Lord, get me out of the way. He's like, ah, actually, I kind of like you. 
kind of like where I got you. You kind of are the solution. You are the plan. There's no plan B. Can I get a big amen? You know, so it's interesting. You know, there's this conversation on what's your why. Any Simon Sinek fans in the room? What's your why? Start with why. Why is more important than what? And I think the corporate why of the kingdom message is heaven on earth. And I'm sold out for heaven on earth or bust. But you know what I also know is that heaven isn't going to come to earth through the glory cloud. I love the glory cloud. I'll take one right now, Lord. But how many know that heaven is sustained on the earth when I choose to become heaven on the earth? God's plan is people. God doesn't want to work outside of you or despite you. God wants to move through you. You are the plan of how heaven comes on earth. And so there's a dream in our heart as kingdom-minded believers to ask the question, what does it actually look like to see heaven made manifest in all the places of our lives? I love the signs and wonders movement. Praise God. We're seeing more documented miracles right now than any other time in recorded history. Wow. More documented resurrections are happening right now, recorded than any other time in history. It's a good time to be alive. Yeah, 50% of the world's poverty has been eradicated in the last 35 years. Wow. For the first time in recorded history, 50% or more people in their prospective uh, economies are now middle class or higher. Things are getting better. It's a good time to be alive. Doesn't mean that we don't have challenges in front of us, but I tell you, you're alive in the greatest time in history. Come on. Ladies, you have a vote. Woo! You know that's a new idea, right? That's still a new idea. And we still have some challenges to overcome. But any, any ladies want to go back to 100 years ago? No. Come on, the civil rights movement, it's not all perfect yet. But praise God, we're advancing and we're going forward. We're gaining ground. Can I get a big amen? We don't want to go back to where we're at. We have ground to gain, but we're in the right place at the right time. I feel like something good's about to happen. Come on, because I believe people are starting to realize that I'm not a problem, I'm a solution. Come on, look at your neighbor real quick and say, you look just like your dad. <laughs> Come on, I like the Christ in you. Come on, I like the Christ in you. That's the hope of glory. Is there, if there's hope for glory showing itself in the earth, it's because you decided to believe that it was true, that it was in you. Come on. Christ looks good on you. <laughs> it's powerful to begin to believe that, that we're a new creation. And, uh, and so I want to spend a few moments with you. I've got some testimony I want to share with you. Um, I was here with you guys a year ago, and I'm a different person than who I was 12 months ago. My life has radically changed. Uh, I went through a powerful transformation about, 20, about the last 24 months, really. Um, even when I met you guys last year, I was kind of in the end of a 12-month season that was changing my life. Another 12 months, I probably multiplied that times 10. I'm on a journey of discovering what it looks like to transition out of an exclusive priesthood skill set and into a kingly skill set. And it's exciting. You know, because we're, we're, we're getting out of the idea of advancing things with words and we're starting to advance things with action. Come on, you know, I, I believe the Lord's invited me to help specifically in the church to move from profit to profit. From being prophetic to now becoming profitable. 
Come on, and that's not letting go of the prophetic. It's understanding that the prophetic opens something up. It advances with words. It brings inspiration. It awakens promises. But now we have a job to do. It's not a genie in the bottle. Rub me the right way. That sounded kind of strange. Sorry. I mean, it's not just like, hey, rub the little bottle, and then finally the, you know, 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. I mean, you're not getting three wishes and then hanging out till they come to pass. Come on. Prophecy isn't fortune telling. Prophecy is an invitation for you to be your true self. And it's permission to know that after God speaks the word, that everything that's been given in the word is the grace and the ability to go after it. I tell you what, church, if we're going to see heaven come to earth, it's because you begin to believe, I'm not a problem. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, are you listening? Come on, just give him a little nudge. Are you listening? Come on. Come on, look, look at someone around you and say, when God made you, Come on, everyone do it. Say, when God made you, he said, I'll never do that again. You're unique. There's no one like you. So I really believe that in the capacity of the gospel is the ability to solve the world's greatest problems. But, you know, we can't just get excited about solving problems because, you know, problems are connected to people. I was asking the Lord two years ago, I said, Lord, what problems do you want me to solve? I was a little bit bored, to be honest with you, and, uh, because I had heard all the prophetic words, and, and, uh, and I knew God was already here with me and in me and through me, and I didn't need faith for that anymore. A anybody need faith to believe your spouse is going to be in the bed in the morning? When you wake up, they're there. You don't need faith for that. You've got a covenant. You have an agreement that protects the fact that that relationship is intact. I don't need faith to know God's in the room. Because I don't need faith for what I know. I need faith for what I don't know. <laughs> so I begin to realize that I wasn't very active in my faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. And we know that faith comes by Hearing, and so if you're not hearing something fresh, you're not able to move in faith that allows you to overcome a problem or an obstacle so that heaven will show itself in the earth. And so I begin to dream with the Lord and say, God, how can the gospel tr be translated to solve the world's greatest problems? And he said, Drew, you're probably asking the wrong question. I said, okay, Lord, what question should I ask? And he said, you might should ask who you're supposed to adopt and then solve their problems. And better yet, I begin to learn. I was like, well, Lord, how do we gain partnership with this? And the Lord said, Drew, solutionaries are people who are going to move in the spirit of adoption and then accept responsibility for God's heart towards their problems. Because how many know we need powerful people in the process? This is not about a handout, you know, handout. This is a hand up. You know, we don't have an intelligence distribution problem in the earth. Third world nations don't have an intelligence issue. Third world nations have an opportunity issue. And either they're self-sabotaging the opportunity or they haven't seen the opportunity. Probably both. And so, you know, I really believe that the kingdom of God is being made manifest. And we're realizing that through the message of the kingdom that we can create the greatest opportunities ever seen in history. Because I'm not a problem, I'm a solution. And so we've decided to adopt the city of Detroit as our, as our nation. And even more specifically, we're adopting uh, black female entrepreneurs. Uh -huh. 
Black female entrepreneurs are the main breadwinners in black culture in America. And 66% uh, of all startups in America that are run by an African-American are, are run by a female. And so, uh, in general, when a woman runs a business in America across all spectrums, she runs it 15% less profitable. Okay, so this is, once again, not an intelligence issue. This is an opportunity issue for mentorship and development. Because there aren't that many female CEOs who are crushing it that can mentor and be available for time. And men don't really know how to mentor women very well. Ladies, please, can I get a big amen? Thank you very much. And so I brokered a partnership with MIT so that we can begin to develop female entrepreneurs who are the main breadwinners within a people group. And we've decided to partner with the dream of God to rebuild a middle class for these people in our city and solve some economic problems. Come on. So I ended up getting a download from the Lord. I'll share this testimony more in depth lately, later. But I had got a download from the Lord and began to realize that as we accepted responsibility, all of a sudden things, ideas, blueprints, strategies begin to move. Not before I got excited about the message, but when I begin to take responsibility to, to love somebody and solve a problem. You know, you don't gain the anointing for things you're not willing to accept responsibility for. Come on, somebody. Some of you are just waiting for your ministry to start. You're going to church every week. Come on. Listening to Bethel music. Hallelujah. Soaking 35 hours a week. Hallelujah. Feeling good about yourself. Writing in your journal again. Hallelujah. For 13 years. And you're wondering why there's a lack of a sense of purpose moving through your life. We have such a beautiful opportunity, not just to be people who make money. Some people have jobs. Others have an upgrade and they maybe have a career. But God ultimately is inviting us for purpose. And in purpose, we end up finding out how to make our time, our money, our influence, and our expertise begin to synergize and move together to express the kingdom of God. We could do inventory in these four areas of life and we can find out where the fruit of your life is and why it's happening the way it is. If you're frustrated with your life, go back and do some inventory. Where did I spend my time? Where did I spend my money? How am I using my expertise? And how am I leveraging my influence? Because that's what's producing results in your life, how you're currently using it. Right? <laughs> and so when we don't have a clarity or a focus or a situation that we've accepted responsibility for without boundaries, without focus, and in chaos, we end up spending those resources aimlessly, and then we create this cycle of becoming a victim to our own lack of focus and understanding that I'm not a problem. Come on, somebody. And so God's just opening up this opportunity where we can begin to move from profit to profit. You know, when Jesus came, he came as a solutionary, and he came to solve some problems. And how many know that Jesus came as a Jew? Anyone ever thought about why he didn't come as an Anglo-Saxon? I mean, why didn't he show up with some chopsticks in his hand, you know? Like, I mean, eating sushi. Why wasn't he Japanese, you know? Why did he come as a Jew? You ever thought about it? Like, why that people group? What did they need? What was on God's heart for why he let Jesus be a Jew and not some other people group? You see, Jesus came to solve problems. Jesus came to demonstrate something in, in, in their lives that were the, that to, to bring heaven in a profound way. And it wasn't just to try to fill up a church or to distribute fire insurance. 
How many of the kingdom of God is not an exit strategy, it's an entrance strategy? Come on, we're not trying to get to heaven as a location. We're trying to realize heaven's in us and that birth, that new creation here in the earth. It's already finished, but we got some work to do. We got to pull that from the unseen place and begin to manifest that in the seen place. And so I think Jesus came and he had three powerful solutions that he offered the Jews that were really remarkable. And these are things that we're still hanging on to today. And number one, he began to demonstrate the fact that God was a father. Now that feels really good to us. We already know that. But the Jews didn't know that God was a father when he came. Like this was a new idea. Like they didn't relate to God as a father. They related to him as a master or as better yet as an angry deity because all the other pagan gods for, for what they knew were angry. Isn't it interesting? Abraham, God shows up to Abraham. Abraham was a good pagan man. I like Abraham. He was devoted. He was good at paganism. Making lots of money, making lots of kids. Oh, wait, he didn't have any kids, did he? He had a need, didn't he? But he's making lots of money, being a good pagan man. And then all of a sudden, something speaks. So then he went to Hillsong Church, and then... No, he didn't do that, sorry. I'm sorry, uh, no, 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 sorry. He went to small group, had hands laid on him. No, 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 he didn't do that. Oh, he went to that, you know, he went to that Billy Graham crusade and he said the sinner's prayer. That's what it was. Then God could use him, right? (laughs) No, he's a good pagan who thinks like a pagan who thinks another deity. Some of the other, something that's of deity is now talking to him. And he's like, this is kind of cool. This has never happened before. And so something speaking, saying, hey, why don't we hang out? I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And then we'll, you know, we'll work this whole thing out. And Abraham's, hey, what do I have to lose? No God's ever talked before. Let's do this. And all of a sudden, God is stepping one step closer to humanity, and he's offering a definition of relationship. No God had ever done that before. And so then we see that, you know, it fast forwards, and Abraham gets to the top of the mountain doing a good thing that a good pagan would do. Sacrifice your kid. That's some good paganism right there, isn't it? Right? I mean, how do you, I mean, if the sun, how do you keep the sun god happy? Well, you give him an offering, and then, and then you sacrifice a sheep, and then you, you know, then you, then it's like, well, if he's still not performing for me, maybe he's upset with me, and I have to up the ante. And so paganism always leads to the point where you give your most valuable goods away as a sacrifice, and so you sacrifice your children. This is paganism 101. In Abraham's day. And so God's like, hey, Abraham, you know that thing that all your friends do? Now that you have a child, how about I, let's go do that thing that pagans do. March up to the mountain and get to the top. And then God's like, hey, just wanted to get you up here to teach you that I'm not like all the other pagan gods. Let me introduce who I am. And the part of my nature I want to introduce to you is that I am provider. I'm different than all the other gods. Oh, there's a ram in the thicket. All of a sudden, God begins to show himself to Moses in the pillar of fire, the the burning bush, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. God's getting closer, and he's defining the relationship even more. You know, the law, 618 laws, was the most kind experience that any god, so what they knew of the gods, had ever done. This was grace expressed. What do you mean i got to wash my hands? I didn't know that. What do you mean I can't kill my neighbor? I can't? 
Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you mean if I just like their bull, I can't go take their bull? I, that, I've been taking people's bull for years. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Like, we don't think about this stuff. Like, the children of Israel were children. They had the civilized development that was very, very primitive. No one had ever told anyone to love your neighbor before. They didn't even know they had to respect their neighbor. Like, this is new information. This would have been like, poof. I mean, think about the moment where you realize God was good. And now we're like, well, duh, God's good. And it's only been 10 years. We're like, yeah, that's like so like early 2000s. Like way past that now, like, you know, God's so good and just sipping on my latte right now because he's still good and I've known that for a long time. No, that's new idea. That's grace exploding in your heart. That's a revelation that God has been releasing into the earth, that his goodness is being made manifest. I tell you what, when the law showed up, it was the most grace-filled encounter the world had seen up to that time. Powerful. Now God's getting more close and more kind, and he's working through it, and he's coming to this moment, and now he's showing up in the sky, and everyone's like, ooh, ah, and now he goes up to Mount Sinai, and there's lightning, and there's thunder, and there's sounds, and it's ooh, ah, and now Moses is hanging out with, with God, and he's the friend of God, ooh, ah, and now Solomon begins to host the presence of God in the temple every single day. There's an acceleration where God's getting more kind and more close, and we're starting to realize something a little new every single time. I didn't know him then, but now with one step, every step of the way, the old covenant is a, is a progressive revelation of who God is in his goodness. That people who know nothing about God, who didn't have Hillsong Church and Bethel Church and the coolest people and skinny jeans giving messages had to discover God without the Bible and without a worship team and without a church to go to. They didn't even have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. The Old Covenant is not God's nature fully expressed. The Old Covenant's a story of how God began to teach people who he was. We fast forward and Jesus shows up and all of a sudden, he's uncomfortably close. <laughs> His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And we're like, woohoo! The Jews are like, finally we got our king. Finally we're going to overtake Rome. Finally we're the winners. They think this is the end all be all, Christ with us. They're like, okay, now we're ready to go. We got JC up in the house. We got a mob. We got a crew. Let's go take it. Yo, Caesar, we ready for you, man. And Jesus is like, hey, you know, um, I got to go. I'm like, what do you mean you got to go? Like, Rome's still here. Herod's son, Herod Jr., he's on the throne right now. And all the other kids have a territory, and they're still running us. They're still taxing us 60%. What do you mean you're about to go? That is not what's going on here. And Jesus is like, no, actually, I need to go away. And it actually says that Jesus says, it is profitable for you. It is to your advantage. If I go away, I'm going to send the comforter. Once again, profit is about advancing. Jesus said, something's going to advance if I go away. You see, they already had the message of the kingdom. They already had that. But Jesus said, hey, I want to get a little closer. And I want to get a little more kind. And I want to get inside of you. 
I want to dwell in you. And he sent the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus didn't come to rescue us only. He came to show us the example of what we were about to do. Fully God and fully man. Not as a deity, but made in the image of God. We're not replacing God, but we have the full capacity of God in us because we were made in his image and in his likeness. Jesus came demonstrating that you get to do what the Father in heaven is doing. And if Jesus hadn't come, we wouldn't have known that God was a Father. And so this revelation comes out to them. They realize that God is a Father. And then they realize they have supernatural power. You guys know all about that stuff. Miracle signs and wonders are in this house. Amen? I don't got to spend any time there. The other thing that they begin to realize through Jesus, the problem he began to solve, he saw the problem that they were orphans and found out God was a father. And then he solved the problem that they, were, that they had brokenness and, and had need for, for healing in their bodies and the supernatural began to move through their lives. And the next thing he did was he dignified people with value. Matthew chapter 7, let's make this official. The Bible Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it the end. Whew. All right, well. I guess we're screwed. I mean, you just read this passage. Pardon my French, sorry. If you read this passage, I mean, it's like it's just so easy to be like, oh my gosh, if I don't do the right things, I'm just like, my life is over. Why even try? You know, we read these passages of Scripture and we think that Jesus is talking about the end times. And we think this is like some heavy-handed, you know, conversation about how I can make it into the eternal bliss. Wide is the road and narrow is the gate because God's really excited about excluding people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've got seven billion people on the earth, but, uh, you know, there's a VIP entourage that's going to make it and the rest of you will. Sorry. I like killing my children. It's fun. Like God likes you. Like he made you the right way the first time in his image. A vessel of his glory. Come on, somebody. And so if you begin to understand this passage of Scripture, you know, you begin to realize that Matthew 7, 21 through 27 is the end of a conversation. What is it? It's the end of a conversation. It's a long conversation. It's actually three whole chapters of a conversation. Lots of people like to talk about eternal escapism, and they read a passage like this. Everyone gets scared. Everyone thinks, well, I can't even make it anyways because if it's based on my performance, well, I guess I'm out. Might as well just hang out and soak for 35 hours a week. 
because it's not about me. It's about God. I don't have to do anything. I get to rest in his presence. And there's, there's a segment of people who stay demobilized, whether it's that mentality or they're, fe- they're fearful because they don't know if they can do anything. They don't know if they're worthy of interacting with the Lord. They don't understand if it's in God's capacity to make room for this. And so they read passage of Scripture like this and they don't realize that this is part of a bigger conversation. This is a part of a what? It's a bigger conversation. you got to go to the beginning, Matthew chapter 5. You guys know this, the Beatitudes. Have you ever thought about how Jesus got 5,000 people to show up to his first message? Oh, he sent out that Facebook invite, didn't he? Yeah, it was that, it was that Facebook. It went viral, you know? It went viral. You know, Pete, Pete was back there tweeting, you'll meet JC at the mountain in 10 minutes. And we didn't have technology. How do you get thousands of people to show up to a mountaintop for someone who's not famous, a, 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 a poor carpenter, in most of our theology, How does a poor carpenter who has no influence get thousands of people to show up to his first message? Well, he hadn't done any miracles yet, according to the Bible. You see, we like to keep Jesus as a poor, non-influential individual because then it makes us feel good when we don't do anything and we can sit down and wait for our opportunity for our 5,000 people to show up. That was a little heavier than I wanted to be. I'm sorry. Wow. That was heavy. Drew, chill. They're used to it. Oh, yeah, Joey's got the Thor hammer in the back. I got to go get that thing. Come on. Come on. You know, I'd like to propose to you that Jesus was the most influential non-priest individual in all of Israel before he ever said a message. You see, Jesus had five Level ranking five rabbinical authority in all of Israel. He would have been the first person in over a hundred years to have this. And if I had more time, biblically I could prove all this to you. But there's a reason why you hear nothing of Jesus between the age of 12 and 18, or 12 and 30, that 18 year time span. And it was because he was following in the footsteps of a powerful rabbi named Hillel. There were two major rabbinical academies, Hillel and Shammai. Hillel was a controversial rabbi who opened up an academy that said everyone had value. Shammai was the academy of the Pharisees. That's why Jesus was at odds with the Pharisees, because the Pharisees believed that knowledge was their empowerment. Now, Pharisees were cool people as rabbis, because 400 years earlier, all the priests died. And how do you worship a God and stay in right standing when you don't have a priest that can go in the holies of holies and offer a sacrifice? How do you do that? How do you make the God who is supposedly angry happy when you can't offer him a sacrifice? Well, the Pharisees stepped up to the plate and said, hey, while we raise up these babies that we saved in the, in the residue of the destruction of the temple 400 years before Jesus, let's, let's elevate this idea that we can go beyond the law. There's 16 or 18 laws. Let's add a few thousand more. We'll call it the oral law. And essentially, if this is the line and where we make God angry, and this is 618, let's step all the way back here. Let's create a buffer. And so the Pharisees saved the children of Israel 400 years later. They just never gave the power back to the priests once they were prepared to do that 50 years later. And so now you have religion set in Pharisees and this exchange is happening with Jesus. And so he had, Jesus essentially leveraged the education and the government mountain to demand an influence that people had to deal with them. 
Jesus was the Justin Bieber of his day before he ever said a word. Like, for real. Jesus was not a poor carpenter. He was the son of a carpenter. But the Bible doesn't say he was a carpenter. He was in a rabbinical academy, which happened between the ages of 12 and 30. The exact age of when you would be a disciple. And so then Jesus started, he started going around and started offering up this very special ceremony that only rabbis could do. And usually they did it with the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. But Jesus went up to a poor fisherman named Peter, and he had this powerful ceremony, which is the official rabbinical ceremony. And he said, Peter, that hand's a little sweaty, sorry. Follow me. Follow me is not like, hey, bro, let's hang out. Follow me was the invitation of a rabbi to empower someone to begin to take on their authority. And so here's Jesus beginning to empower common people, and he would have been known. And if I spend more time with you, I could push this out a little more for you. I've got a series called Relearn Jesus, and it'll touch your life. But Jesus is here on the mountain, and he's, he's got this rock star status in culture. Not because he did miracles, but because he leveraged what culture was using for influence. Today, if you have an Instagram account and you have a 10 million people following you, guess what? They're going to start to deal with you in their feed. We have a president that got elected that's controversial. But because he leveraged a cultural institution and a cultural process of the presidential election and then got elected, you have to deal with him whether you like him or not. Right? Jesus did the same thing. He went through a cultural process to get into a position where the culture had to deal with him. And so here's Jesus getting all these people. He was saying all this crazy stuff. And if you go to Matthew chapter 5, he talks about, in the verse 1 through 10, he talks about some people. The Beatitudes are about people. And it's the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst, the pure in heart, the peacemaker, and the persecuted. Sounds like a motley crew. I mean, Jesus is talking about people that nobody wants to be friends with. Poor in spirit, yeah, go get us so, so, please. Can you just get healed up on the inside and then we can hang out because you're a little complicated. I mean, those who mourn, like it's nice today because we can like take a day off and go to a funeral and love our friend and then after work go to their house for a few days in a row. If you were going to hang out with people who were mourning, you had to take a week off and do nothing but sit and weep with this individual. How many know that if you're feeling a little bit busy, that's going to come at a too great of a sacrifice for you? Hey, I got, I got some crops to harvest. I can't hang out here, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I got to do this thing over here. And then, you know, the meek, wow, the meek, they're kind of weak sauce, actually, you know. Just wish they had a little more backbone. That'd be great. I think the meek needs some boundaries, so uh, you can just do your meek thing back there. And uh, Jesus is talking about people that nobody wanted to be friends with. And he said, oh, by the way, these people you don't like and you think don't have value, yeah, they're going to inherit the earth. That's all. You see, the Beatitudes are about others. It's about others. Jesus goes on in verse 16, and he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others. Who? Others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to who your Father is in heaven. He has this whole conversation about salt and light, and it's about what? Others. Interesting, if you go on into the next section, you're going to see the header in your Bible is going to be Christ came to fulfill the law. 
It goes in verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches them to who? Others to do the same would be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them, someone say do and teach, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What is this conversation about? It's about it's about others. If you go on to verse 21, this section's about anger and how you manage your anger towards others. If you go on to the next section in your Bible, it's about lust, and it's about lusting after others. If you go on down, the next section is about divorce and how you divorced others. The next section is about oaths, and oaths are things that you do with. The next section is retaliation. Are you seeing what's happening here? The next section is about loving your enemies. Enemies are others. Chapter 6, we move to the next chapter, and it's headed at the very top. Giving to the needy. Who's that about? Others. The next thing that happens is the Lord's Prayer, and it's about... Wait, what? The Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not about the glory cloud. That is not about me feeling something. That's not about me getting another prophetic word. You mean, you, 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 mean, you mean on earth as it is in heaven is actually about forgive us our debts as we forgive others? What do I need heaven for? I thought that was about a revival service. That's interesting. Lay up treasures in heaven and don't hoard everything for yourself so you can give it away to others. Yeah, that was next. Don't be anxious for anything. Don't be concerned about all your possessions because you're concerned if someone's going to take it from you and you're hoarding once again. Do not be anxious, he tells you, because generosity is going to break the enemy's back for others. Yeah, the next one's pretty easy. We're still in chapter 6, by the way, and it's called judging yeah, don't do that. That's the, don't, don't do that. And then seek and you shall find. And you're all concerned about people taking our stuff. And this is about bread and it's about other things. And I'm so concerned about if I have enough stuff because we're in the sharing community of people and I don't want to be generous to others. The golden rule, we know what that one's all about. It's about others. I mean, I'm going to go through all of these, by the way. I'm not stopping because I'm making a point. Verse 15 of chapter 6, a tree and its fruit. Beware of false prophets. Beware of crazy others. I never knew. All of a sudden now we're, we're here at chapter 7, and it goes real fast. And now it's I never knew you. This part I read first, and it's like all of a sudden we're shifting into what we thought was eternal conversation. But actually it's uh, about others. Interesting. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. The will of the Father who is in heaven. I think there was a prayer in the last chapter about that. So here we're revisiting what the will of the Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? Then I would declare, I never knew you. And the next one is where the icing's on the cake. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And then the rain fell, and the floods came for the person who built it on the sand, and great was their fall. Where was the fall? Well, it wasn't to hell. That's not the conversation here. The fall was flat on your face because you were unwilling to understand that the gospel is not about where you're going to go when you die. The gospel is about... You see, one of the reasons why we're not integrating ourselves and understanding the power of loving others through this heavenly motivation, this powerful, supernatural motivation is about dignifying other people with value. But the reason why we've been weak on it is because we didn't understand how to move in the gift of wisdom. You see, the reason why we've stayed talking about heaven and not actually bringing heaven and the fullness of what God says is available according to the scripture is because we didn't know how. Words of knowledge is a gift from the Holy Spirit, and that's supernatural facts. Words of wisdom from the Holy Spirit is supernatural how. Now, words of wisdom is not something where you just practice a lot and try to get really smart. I mean, that'd be really cool, you know. But words of wisdom is actually a gift from the Holy Spirit, which means this is not a conversation on your intelligence. It's a conversation on divine intelligence. You see, when a word of wisdom comes to you, you didn't know, and now you do. If anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask. But see, one of the core values of increasing and receiving words of wisdom is that the first thing we need to understand is that wisdom isn't just for me. Prophecy isn't just for me. You know, the prophetic, not partner with the apostolic, will turn turn into a bless me meeting. But when the prophetic gets partnered with the apostolic, all of a sudden it turns into a building people opportunity. You see, because the prophetic express is supposed to equip people. So if the prophetic isn't building people, it's not fully maturely being expressed. Which is great. You guys know that in-house because you're doing that here. But see, wisdom comes to us in this restoration and something significant begins to happen because we start to know how. And I really believe that we get to know how. Jesus said, hey, I'm going away, but I no longer call you slave. I call you friend because a slave doesn't know what its master is doing. Which means as a friend, I get to know. Look at your neighbor and say, you get to know. Come on, you get to know. It's your right to know. There's lots of Christians walking around without knowing, and because of it, they misrepresent the heart of the Father. Why have we lacked influence in the church? Well, it's been because we've only known how to reach those who were poor in spirit. We've known how to rescue, but we haven't known how to advance things with people who were healthy. And so we've only had faith for for, for getting saved from something and not really realizing we were saved towards something. You see, it takes a little bit of gusto to start to put faith of step after step that says, hey, I'm not just going to milk the system. I'm actually going to advance something in the kingdom and lead the charge. Come on, somebody. I said there's a little bit of an opportunity to put some weight on the bar here. And so God's opening up this opportunity for us to begin to receive words of wisdom. I believe there's a restoration of words of wisdom that's coming into the church right now. And those who want to know will get to know. About a year and a half ago, we were in a, a leadership meeting, and, and um, I may have shared some of this story with you last year, but more has happened. And um, Doug Addison 
phones in a video call. Dan McCollum is with us. Anyone like Dan McCollum? Amen. Thankful for Dan, all right? Vacaville, the mission, church are great. Dana was with us, leaders in the room, Doug Addison, video call on the phone. And Dana looks at me and he says, hey, Drew, you know, um, if, uh, if I answer this, um, Doug's going to prophesy over your church. Uh, do you want me to answer it? Oh my God. Uh, yes, yes, please. Please answer the phone. You know, so he answers it. And he's, like, he's like, hey, Doug and Dano. You know, Doug's crazy. He's like, hey, man, I got a word for you. And like, he's like, oh, well, I'm in, a, I'm in a leadership meeting in a church in Detroit right now. Can I call you back and you can give me the word? And he said, you're where? He's like, I'm in a church in Detroit. He's like, I've been praying for three months for a church in Detroit. I've got a word for a church in Detroit. And I didn't know who I was supposed to release it over to. And Daniel's like, okay, well, here, meet Drew Neal. I'm like, hey, Doug. And he starts to prophesy that I was going to be visited. Our whole church, actually, was going to go through a season of visitation through the months of May through September in 2018. And that we'd be visited by the angel of the wind of change. The angel of the wind of change. Now, I'm not a seer. I'm not an angel guy. You know, I like all those people. They're cool. Um, but I would like to actually see these things and talk to these things if they're going to be assigned to me. And so I said, Lord, I'll take this assignment, but I want to interact with this angel. Can I get an amen on that? A little bit of weight on the bar. And so I said, Lord, I want to interact with this angel. And so the word continued to go on and it said um, that the angel, the wind of change would come and that the, it's different than winds, plural. It's singular wind because plural winds just blow things around. A singular wind comes and it brings things suddenly into alignment. So things that were out of order, things that were in chaos are going to begin to work essentially. And so he brings this word to us and he says, hey, you know, alignment's about to come. Acceleration will come. It will explode out of this encounter. And out of this encounter, the angel's going to make available to you two mantles that have been dropped and left on the ground. And they're of national and international profile. And he said, so these things are going to be available to you. And he said, hey, the, the real interesting ingredient about this angel is that I like to call it the get her done angel. Anybody want some get her done angel in their life? Come on. <laughs> and so he, he began to release this over us on May 1st. There was a, there, there's basically one major story of renewal that's happened in Detroit um, from a church standpoint, and it was the Latter Rain Movement. Anyone familiar with the Latter Rain Movement, okay? And so Detroit was one of three hub cities for this awakening in the late 40s and early 50s. And so there was a lady who ran this church. Her name was Ma Beale, which was revolutionary for a woman to lead a church, especially in a movement like that. And so her daughter is 95 years old, and her daughter kind of carries the mantle, if you will, of what's going on. And so her daughter gets on Facebook Live. Amen, Cal. And he gets on face, she gets on Facebook May 1st. Now, I've never seen this woman on Facebook ever in my life. She's 95 years old, and someone else is putting her on their account that I'm friends with. And she gets on there and she says, 50 years ago, I was visited by the angel of the wind of change. On May 1st. And she says, this angel visited me and, and, and transferred to me an anointing to bring wisdom through curriculum that would revolutionize the church. And she said, and that, that experience was the birthing of my whole ministry. And she said, and, and so the Lord told me today that the angel of the wind of change is about to visit Detroit. Wow. Yes, Lord. I get on an airplane. I'm heading to uh, Kuala Lumpur in Singapore. 
going to be doing some consulting and doing some church meetings and working with some businesses. And so um, I get on the airplane. We're, we're flying, and, and I got the map in front of me, and I can see I'm over Afghanistan. And I had a, a buddy who works in intelligence who was in the main capital city there. And we were flying literally right over at the time. So I'm just kind of praying for him. He's right below me, and we hadn't talked in a little while. So just blessing him and what he was doing. And, and all of a sudden, I look up in front of me, and down the aisle of the airplane is a lion like I've never seen before. My body began to tremble. It got closer and closer, and it came up to me and just very gently let me know, Drew, you know I'm going with you, right? Nope, I didn't know that. Nope, didn't know it. But I'm glad you're here. So I was in, I was in the, the, the class of seats right behind first class, and so there was an open area um, right in front of me. And, uh, and so this lion came and sat at my feet, and for two hours I just trembled under the power of God and received something that I can't even put words to. I got on the ground, and uh, one of the companies I was working with is a financial services company, and uh, the Lord showed me that they had three major products that they offered their clients, and that if they would elevate their third priority um, product to their number one product, that it would open up a third market. You know, one year later, it has opened up a third market, and they've made over $50 million uh, from this move in their company. Now, I didn't realize it, but what was happening was I got a word of wisdom. I got a supernatural how. I didn't have language for it at that very second, but all I knew was something was feeling a little bit different. I noticed all week, I'm like, man, this is crazy. I'm like being awesome right now, and I'm really working hard on everything that's happening back home. I'm like staying up on emails uh, everyone's communicated with. I'm like in two places at one time. I'm getting a lot done right now. Still not putting it all together, by the way, what's going on. I get back on the airplane, I head home, it's an, a 12-hour flight and an 8-hour flight, and so on this flight, I didn't sleep once, I didn't watch a single movie, all I did was burn a hole in my laptop as download after download after download began to come to me, and I got a whole curriculum on discipling nations, and, and it's, it's, it's amazing stuff, it's straight from heaven, as well as I got a download for an economic solution for my city. So I began to realize that I was encountering something supernatural. The last year of my life, I've been more productive than I've ever have been, starting businesses and launching these ecosystems. We're launching a social and emotional learning ecosystem along with an economic ecosystem because 50% of Detroit is functionally illiterate. And because of pain, crisis, difficulty, poverty, they're not really ready to start businesses. And so we got to get them emotionally, spiritually, and socially ready to actually have businesses that are worth investing into. And so we're beginning to create this ecosystem. I've got nine organizations that I'm bringing together, and we're creating an, an innovation pipeline that's now partnering with this MIT program that we brought in, as well as the eight startups that we're doing to launch this ecosystem that are all focused on starting other people's businesses. And so the Lord gave me the strategy on how to link certain organizations together and the path of restoration as well as the economic piece. And this evidently is something that not a lot of people have done because I found myself in Washington in HUD with Dr. Ben Carson's team, the director of innovation in the government, sharing this plan and all of them sitting and taking notes and wondering where I went to school. Come on, somebody. 
A few weeks ago, I found myself with more people that I should probably have a certificate to be in front of them. But words of wisdom are bringing me to a point to be a part of some of the largest conversations that are happening culturally in the world right now and needing words of wisdom. You see, wisdom is the economy of reformation. If you don't have wisdom, the world doesn't need us. You see, one of the reasons why we're not solving problems as well is because we think wisdom is for me and not realizing that anybody in the world can be the benefactor of my favor. The whole world gets to benefit from the fact that I'm connected with heaven. You see, God's favor is no respecter of persons when it moves through a child of God. God's love for you is for you, but God's favor is for them. God's favor on you is for them. You know, we're all currently taking advantage of God's favor. And so freely you've received, not freely give. So the question to ask is, who needs to be adopted? And what problems do they have that we can begin to partner with heaven and solve these problems? That we can begin to realize that we've had an opportunity because of who we know and because of the Father we have connection with that now creates another opportunity for someone else. You see, because I'm not a problem, I'm a solution, which means I get to go do things that can change the world. Not because I'm fully qualified, but because I'm willing to go through the process and willing to put on my faith that I would not just be a person who talks about things, prophesies about things, but I would take that as a foundation and then begin to put those things into action. You know, there's a dream in your heart. And we need wisdom to do it. Dan McCollum came over to our church and he said, he said, there's a mantle God's bringing over you, and it's wisdom. Sean Bowles came to our church a few weeks later and said, Drew, there's a mantle coming over you, and it's innovation. And we're beginning to realize as a church that God's asked us to accept these two mantles from this word that Doug Addison gave us of wisdom and innovation. And it's interesting because Detroit was built on a massive salt mine. And so we mine our own salt and distribute it when it's cold and it snows and it melts the snow. And we've been put on a salt mine, which sounds a little bit like wisdom. We've got innovation, Henry Ford, innovator. I just got time with his granddaughter. Amazing stuff's happening in our city. Innovation is there. Motown Records, another sense of innovation. We have rocked the world with a new sound that changed what music was going to look like for generations to come. And it's all been the heartbeat of our city and we're carrying these mantles. And so I've come here today to stir you with wisdom and innovation. <laughs> I've come here today to call you into alignment. I've come here today and I have a friend. And he's pretty good at his job. And just looking for those that are hungry. Those who long to know how. Those who long to know that God is a father, that I get to live supernaturally, and that I get to dignify value for other people. This is the point of the kingdom of God. Heaven comes to earth when we give value to other people. And this angel of the wind of change is not just about a new encounter. It's about an opportunity that we would be able to bring ourselves into alignment to begin to see heaven move through us like never before like never before. So Father, right now in this room, 
we say thank you for heaven. We say thank you for access. We say thank you for what's available right now. Father, we long to increase in our capacity to bring heaven to earth. And Father, we long to see this restoration of the words of wisdom in the house of God. And so I, I want to release something over you about this, the, the angel of the wind of change here in a moment. But before we do that, I want you just all over in this room with your eyes closed, I want you to begin to ask the Lord who. Who is it in your world, in your life, that is needing to be adopted, that's needing to be dignified? Who is it in your life that maybe you withheld your favor from because you weren't certain if it was okay to let your favor to be taken advantage of. God's love for you is for you. God's favor on you is for them. So Holy Spirit, just speak right now. Move through this room that we would truly understand that heaven comes to earth through people, for people. Father, I thank you for the anointing right now that is in the room that's coming over every single person as they begin to accept responsibility. Lord, that an anointing would begin to rest on them in a new and powerful way because we get to know how. We're not a problem, we're a solution. God, I ask that this whole room would be awakened as solutionaries, that this whole room would be activated in a solutionary mindset, that we begin to realize and understand that the gospel was not given just for my benefit, but for the benefit of all. That it was given to break the enemy's back. Father, we accept responsibility right now in this place. Lord, not for our brokenness and not for our imperfections, not all the little things that we think we still need to work on. Lord, we accept responsibility to believe that right now I have something to give. And freely I've received it, now freely I'm going to give it away. Christ, send me the hope of glory. Father, I thank you right now for the courage and the permission in the room. Lord, for us to be ourselves to be who you've made us to be. Father, I just release that into the room right now. Courage to take a step and permission to declare who we are that would lead to accepting responsibility, Lord, for the lives of those around us, that we would love them and that heaven would show itself through us in the earth today, that we would move from a prophetic encounter to becoming profitable for all. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Jesus' mighty name.